0: Good morning, everybody. Good not to see you, but know that you're out there. Welcome to, to Life Community Church. If you're joining us for the first time online, we're glad that you're joining us. We say this every week, and we mean it. Uh, we are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. That is our heart. And we are striving to live out that identity through four values by practicing Love with everyone always, and giving more than what makes sense, chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to move towards. If you want to know more about us, you can go on our website and check out our statement of faith, or simply uh, talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. Just a couple things that I want to make known to you. Obviously, we have saw that the governor made um, some new orders in our stay-at-home. So at this point, uh, it looks like we're going to be able to resume service in some capacity next week. And so we are working on those details. It it won't be just full go, we're here. Uh, There'll be a phasing in on this, and so we'll discuss this as elders and staff, and so we'll get those details to you. Uh, I'm so looking forward for you guys to be here instead of staring at cutouts of Star Wars figures and puppets that I have to look at every week. So so looking forward to you guys being here. So stay tuned, whether that's on Facebook, we'll put out text messages on our website. Just seek information about what next week will look like before you come, okay? Secondly, just as a reminder, we do this every week. We are asking for your prayer request or praises that you have from god we love to pray and celebrate as a people so you can put those in the comment section of facebook and we will pray over them at the end of service and we also will continue to pray for those as we move into the week well let's head into our message today we are in our third week in the fruit of the spirit Uh, We're going to be in John 15 and 16, so you can go ahead and move your Bibles there, whether they're digitally or printed. We're going to be in John 15 and 16. But let's take a moment here and remind ourselves of what the fruit is and where that fruit comes from. So we'll put this up for you guys to read along with us in Galatians 5. This is our core verse or verses for this series. Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. And so as a believer, by grace, through faith, I have been given a righteousness that is not my own, a perfect righteousness. I've been given a perfect obedience. It's not mine. It's Christ. He has given it to me. I'm hidden in Christ. So in His sacrifice, I have atonement. I have justification. And then by faith, He sends the Spirit to to empower the process that we call sanctification, which simply means that I look more and more like Jesus the more and more I journey with Him in my life. And it's not done through my earnest efforts to please God, but I have a God who is already well-pleased in me that sends His Spirit into my life to transform me to look more like Him. And so today we, we want to talk about this idea of joy that comes from the Spirit. Christian joy. Before I do that, I, I, there have been some things that have been stirring in me about the Spirit and about fruit since the last time I got done speaking. And I want to walk through those, and then I want to get us into to joy. You know, sometimes this term, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit as we say, sometimes can create some fogginess and confusion about what the process of transformation looks like, what it means and for us to begin to look like Jesus. By far and away, the Holy Spirit is the least understood part of the Trinity. We often, and it's not wrong to take it there because the Spirit is the Spirit, but we often take the Spirit into this deep mystical place where people are talking in tongues and uh, people are being healed and people are saying, I got a word from the Lord, and they, you need to hear this. And, and so we turn on our television sets, and we see these people saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're casting out demons. They're blowing on people, and they're passing out. And, and honestly, we, we, we look at that, or we watch it, and we think, is that is that the Holy Spirit? Like, that's, that's crazy. Am I If I'm believing, if I'm walking by, does that mean I'm going to take my coat off and just wave it and heal people? Is that how this thing works? And so if we're honest, like I'm honest, like that's intimidating. Like it's controlling of me. That seems awkward. And we're concerned about looking crazy in that. And so is that the spirit? So when we say walk by the spirit, some of us are thinking so am I going to have to get weird? And the answer is yes. You are going to be weird. But it's not because you're spontaneously doing miraculous works of the Spirit. It's because you walk different. You just have a different swagger about you. A different swag. I don't know if I can say it. I'm 38. I don't know if that's cool for me to say that, but I'm saying that. So what I want you to hear from me today is, yeah, yeah, we can read Scripture for sure. Those miraculous things happen. We can't move that part of Scripture away. They they do happen, but probably not as much as those people on TV contend that they do. And they only happen, first and foremost, through those who are being transformed into the image of the Son, growing in maturity and faith. Because the universal command for all Christians is that they would look like Jesus. That they would be conformed to the Son. The Holy Spirit universally in every single person works to convict, to convert, to apply, and then to deliver the gifts to His people. Distribute them. The Spirit convicts us of where we fall short, where I need change, where I need God's grace. It converts us the Spirit is what takes the heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. Human words alone can't change a per- person's heart. The Spirit does that, and then it applies. It takes the Word of God, the truth of God, and it applies it in our life. It makes it understandable. And so if we have a desire to know more about God, if there's an inkling in me to, to struggle with learning in this, to, to want to be obedient, to submit, that's the Holy Spirit working in my life to transform me. And then it distributes gifts to those according to his purposes. It sends gifts to us, not to edify our brand or the person, but to display the glory of God. The Holy Spirit, it is described as the seal, as the guarantee, as the helper. He is working primarily in our lives, with a focus of transformation. God's design to reach the world was that those of faith would become more like Him, that they would look more like God in flesh, Jesus. And the primary way He does that is by growing fruit in our lives, growing fruit as we abide and walk with the Spirit. He transforms us by abiding. Abiding is is this Defined as the enduring, long lasting, persistent, fixed, unending. It's like, I'm gonna remain in God's love. I'm gonna remain in the Father's grace. And Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, and we'll look at this together. Starting in verse one, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Abiding comes through being with Jesus. That's how we cultivate. That's the Christian root. We are focused on the roots, not changing the fruit. It comes with the soil. And if we cultivate the roots, the fruit will grow by themselves. My eyes are to be set on Jesus, my heart is to be fixed on Jesus, my mind is to be fixed on Jesus. Nothing more than knowing that I'm loved in the Son. I've come to face-to-face with who I am and see that I'm bankrupt. I need Jesus in my life. And through that abiding, the Spirit, as Paul says, battles against the flesh in our lives. Battles against the flesh, my passions and selfishness that come out of my sinful condition, that Spirit begins to grow the fruit in my life that conquers my flesh, that eradicates sins, that changes my behavior to live the way that I was designed and made to live fully for God. And that fruit it has one source, the Spirit. has one source. The fruit that we're talking about here in John 15, the fruit that we're talking about in Galatians, and every other place in Scriptures are not individual characteristics and behaviors. They're not individual fruits, plural fruits, that God is trying to increase in my life. This isn't God coming down and saying, all right, Eeyore, you need some joy. And so I'm going to work, I'm going to produce some joy in your life. All right, lady, you need some patience. I need to work on some patience. So what? I'm going to give you some kids. And your husband, he's going to forget everything. All right, ready? Okay, go with that. God isn't making a list of things and looking at people and saying, all right, I need, let's put gentleness here. This guy, he needs this characteristic of peace over here. The word says fruit singular fruit meaning all the things that i've read about here in galatians love joy peace patience kindness they are descriptive of the fruit of the spirit rather than being prescriptive to how we as believers should begin to work i need to by effort look more like this i need to have more joy i need to work towards that they're implying this if you would taste a strawberry you would say and describe it in very certain terms. You would say, "Ah, oh, it's sweet. It's a little crunch with those seeds. The hull. It's kind. Of, there's bitterness to that." That's how you would compel and talk about the fruit of strawberry. And so, what Paul is saying here is, if somebody would take the fruit from the tree, of the fruit of the spirit, and they would bite into it, what they would say, "That tastes a lot like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, of whatever. All of those things." That's that's how they would describe the fruit of the spirit. That's what they would. Say about it. It's like all the fruit rolled into one. It's like a tangelo. A tangerine and a I don't even know what the other part of a tangerine would be. Tangelo. A plumcot, a plum and a, an apricot. It's all of those descriptive words rolled into one fruit. And so that is similar to how Paul communicates love in the love chapter. First Corinthians chapter 13, when Paul says, love is patience, kind does not boast, it's not envious, he's not saying you need to work on all the patience, kindness, you need to work on all those things. He's saying this is what love in Christ looks like. That's what Christ-like love is, and he's doing the same here. He's describing the fruit of the Spirit, which means that all of those descriptors are not singular fruits. It's not the fruit of kindness, and it's not the fruit of love. And look, I, I know a lexicon. Look, if anybody knows anything about lexicon and words, and the struggle in that, it's me. And I know it's just easy just to say fruit sometimes, and it's easy sort of just to get... I get it. I'm not. You're not, you're not dumb or not educated if you, you say that. That's not truth. They are interconnected, and they build on one another. And so that means as a Christian that my kindness is informed and shaped by my love and joy and peace, gentleness and faithfulness. They're interconnected. To have Christian self-control, it means that it lives in harmony with all of the other descriptive words of the Holy Spirit. There's a synchronicity to all of it. A harmony that exists in His fruit. To have joy, I need His love. To have peace, I need His love and His joy. That's how it works, and so on and so forth. If you told me that you need kindness. Well, I can work on that. Like, I can be more gentle in my words. I can be more loving in my response. I can do that. But if you told me that my kindness has to work out of my self-control and my love and my joy and my peace and my faithfulness and my gentleness, if you told me that, I would say, what? I don't have the tools to make a plum cot. How am I going to make that kind of fruit in my life? And that's precisely the point. That is precisely the point. The point, we have a lacking in ability to produce that kind of fruit. It only comes with abiding in the Spirit. It only comes with remaining in a source, the Spirit, abiding in Him. He grows it. He produces the fruit that is sweet to the world because it's different than anything else that we can find in the world. When we sort of boil down this fruit to characteristics. We normalize it in the world because we are all image bearers of God, which means there is DNA of God stamped into our life. And so things like joy, peace, patience, they're in our lives because we were created by God. And so you don't have to be a Christ lover to be loving. You don't have to be a Christ lover to be kind or have self control. You don't have to love Christ to do that. But what is necessary is the Spirit. Because he has the ability to bind all of those gifts and attitudes and behaviors together into one fruit to build them and bind them that brings us true and rich joy and God, his well-deserved glory and fame. The Spirit binds and builds them together. And so look, we all have different dispositions. Uh, We all have different traits that are natural to us and those are good and god is gifted and they have value some of us some of us are tiggers and sorry for all my winnie the pooh analogies today i don't know why it's there some of us are tiggers and there is nothing that gets you down and quite honestly you know this more than any you annoy people that's not i'm not being critical of you you just you're happy all the time some of us have dispositions that make self-control easier Some of us have dispositions that don't like conflict, so peace is easier because I run away from conflict. Where we err, and this is so important, where we err is to believe that my disposition, what is naturally given to me by God, is somehow the manifestation of God's fruit in my life. I'll say that again. Where we err is to believe that my disposition, what is natural to me, is the manifestation of God's fruit in my life. And so let me bring that into joy this week so I can help you understand what that means. I I think joy is different than what we think it is. And I say that, and joy's in the room with me, so every time I say this, I look at joy. Joy, not the person, is different than what we think it is. I think that we have this idea that joy is this higher version of happiness. That there's happy and then there's joy. Happy joy, it's somewhere up above happiness. And here's what we know. We all earnestly desire to be happy in our lives. We want pleasure every one of us. And that inversely points to the brokenness and the fracture in me, the void that God only can fill in our lives, that we pursue pleasure and happiness. And there are people who are Christians who are tiggers. Naturally, they're tiggers. And here's what happens. This is my story. But it's just not my story. It's Lots of people's stories. That Christian tigger comes in your life and you say this. I want that. I don't know what they're drinking. I want that happiness. I, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that girl. I, want to, I need that happiness. Oh, it's not happiness. You say it's joy? Well, sign me up for that. And that joy comes to, from knowing Christ? Steve, I... I've never been more happy than I am because of Jesus. Like, you don't even have to buy me pizza. I'm in for that. So here's where it leaves me. So I said yes to this guy, Jesus. Now I'm supposed to be happy. Now it's not, I don't know, is this like medicine? Is this supposed to take a couple weeks here? And then I'm just going to get this joy in my life, this higher version of happiness, because I'm not feeling it right now. But look, These people are making a big deal about me. And they're celebrating me. So what do I do? I'm accepted. I'm loved. I pretend. I pretend. I put on a face. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be this, joyful, a higher level of happiness So I fake it, because that's what you're supposed to be. All the while, I'm miserable underneath. And so I went into ministry, and I put on my happy face, group times, meeting times, around kids, turned the switch on. Fun-loving, crazy guy that wants people to know that I'm happy because I met Jesus. Many of you know that version of Steve. Some of you still think that's the real Steve. Let's create energy. Let me make Jesus look like a party. I'm going to fake it till I make it. Because I know that people want the same happiness that I wanted. But I can never admit that I haven't found it. And I can't stop because now people want to be like me. So I spend most of my time crafting the next big trendy thing that will create a buzz, a strategy that will create a feeling in someone, that they might come to a measure of celebration so I can feel good about myself. Very little time abiding. And that cycle plays itself out all of the time. All of the time. I can't tell you how many people in ministry that I have met that that cycle has played out in their lives. Someone's disposition, a God given natural bent, was sold to me as what a believer should be like happy, joyful. But the life of the Christian isn't supposed to look like someone else's disposition. Our life is to look like Christ, it's to look like Jesus. And the fruit in the life of Jesus is the same fruit that is being produced in our lives. And so when the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, when it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, what is this word? Joy! That was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy and enduring the cross? Does that mean like Jesus was like, guys, this is the best day ever. I'm going to put some nails in my hand. This is going to be great. We're going to have a big party afterwards. Life is so good right now. Is that what joy looks like? Absolutely not. This is what happens when the things that come easy for us don't submit themselves to the love of God and the grace of God. We are more than willing to give up my lack of patience to God that he would work on that. But when it comes to kindness, I'm good with that. What I need is patience. I need faithfulness, but you know what, God, I'm good with joy. But when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 that we are not our own, that we were bought, purchased by a price, that price being the shed blood of Jesus. When Jesus says that my blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins, it doesn't mean that Jesus just died for the bad parts of you. He didn't just die for the 71% of you of the things that you don't like in your life. He died for all of you, which means that even my best qualities must submit themselves to Scripture and must submit themselves to God My happiness must submit itself to God. Where my joy comes from must submit itself to God. They work in sync and come under the authority of Scripture and the Spirit who is working to produce the fruit in my life. And that comes through abiding and remaining in the Father. And I begin to look more and more like Jesus. If I were to tell you the most transformative moment in my life, was when I realized I didn't have to fake it anymore. When I learned the difference between pleasure and happiness and joy. Pleasure and happiness, they live on the surface level. They disguise themselves as joy. This is why I was miserable. I just moved from event to event, moment to moment, just trying to capture a feeling. I saw all those happy Christians, and I wanted to be that. And so I faked it because that's what I was supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be, right? Something changed in me. And all I wanted to do was be with Jesus. And that happened because all of that misery bubbled up in my life in a way that it went uncontained. My ugly came out. My sin became known. And I was broken. And Jesus went into the very conflict of my own soul. He saw all the bad, all the sin, stripped of my pride, nothing to hide, no more games to play, broken in my sin, confessing to God and to others. Christ journeyed with me into my inwards to see who I truly was. And as there I saw Jesus as he truly is. And I realized I didn't need anything else. When Jesus, his brother James, writes in his letter in James 1, when he says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How is that possible to have joy in the midst of trials? He's not talking about pleasure. He's not talking about happiness that we sometimes mistake as joy. It's something different. When Jesus tells us in the Gospels to die to self, to pick up our cross and follow after him. When he says things like, You will suffer in the manner that I suffered, people will hate you in the way that they hated me. What form of happiness is going to be found in that? He's not talking about happiness or pleasure. He's talking about this word, kara, this Greek word, kara, joy, delight, inner gladness, rejoicing. Biblical joy is a posture that submits to God's word, the spirit, and is formed out of his love in us and for us, and it works in sync with my peace and my faithfulness and my, jo- my love and, and the rest of the fruits here. Fruit. It's a desire, a posture that is filled with hope. It's connected to hope. Paul writes in, in Romans twelve, twelve, He says, rejoice and hope. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. That word rejoice that is written there is the word kara. Joy in your hope. It's a longing that can withstand not only circumstances, but every bad thing that comes in our life, because we know that Jesus stands victorious, that he's given us a victory, a position, a place, a home, that one day I will occupy, but not yet. I have work to do Here, a faith that knows that goodness will prevail, that my life is just a breath compared to eternity. Jesus says this to his disciples in John 16, verses 19 through 20. Read this here in John 16. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said... Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus is talking about the resurrection. A resurrection that brings us Hope that God has overcome the world, He's overcome sin, He's overcome death. That is a transformative thought that reminds us how much we have through the resurrection to look forward to. But yet I have work here. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Surprised by Joy. It's a wonderful book about Lewis, who is an atheist, pursues Christianity uh, to really critique it, but becomes a believer. And he writes this about joy. He says, An unsatisfied desire, which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction, I call it joy. Let me say that again. An unsatisfied desire, which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction, I call it joy. And he goes on to say, Which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished from both happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them, pleasure and happiness. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. And then he says this about joy. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it, joy, would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. When I am in the flesh, there is a desire that will not reach its conclusion until the day I meet Jesus. It's unsatisfied, but yet it is all I need. And Lewis says something really interesting here at the end. He says that joy is never in our power, but pleasure often is. Look, I preferred pleasure, and I preferred happiness because I could control that. I could make it. I could manufacture it. But yet, joy is a different story. Joy controls me. Joy puts me on. Joy trans- uh, transports me. It, it owns me. It has power over me. John 16, and and later Jesus would go on to describe it uh, like like a woman looking at the birth of a child with sorrow, knowing the pain that she was going to go through. But as soon as that child is delivered, she forgets all of the pain because of the joy of holding her newborn child in her arms. She has a hope for the future, to walk To be together with that child. And if you know, if you've had children, you you know of that joy. Like, like your kids don't even have to say a word. And you just look at them. And I'm moved to joy. Joy has the power over me. This is the joy that Paul is speaking about in Galatians. But what proves to be most important for us is that we abide in the right things that we let Jesus journey with us into the conflict of our souls. You know, Adam did a great job last week talking about love, and he said something that is just universally true. He said that God uses times of chaos and turmoil to bring about more maturity and to help me reflect on him more. And in those seasons where there is chaos and turmoil, instead of faking it to make it, Because that's what I'm supposed to be. We grieve with God. We grieve with God and let him journey inward to be honest, let down our pride. We far too often stop transformative processes by thinking I have to be something else. They want me to be something else. Let your joy be complete by letting Jesus see the parts of you That you don't want to be seen. What we abide in matters. You know, Teddy Roosevelt once wrote that comparison is the thief of all joy. That comparison is the thief of all joy. Think about this. If all you do is walk around thinking about how much better people are than you, how much smarter people are than you, how much more they do than you, it doesn't invoke joy. Nor if we believe and walk around thinking I'm better than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm holier than you. That just spreads misery. Like those are miserable people. <laughs> but the voice of the Spirit is different. It's much different than our own voice. It calls us to come, reminds us that we are loved in the Son, reveals to us our forgiveness. It shows us that there is a better day. He compels me to my true home with Jesus. And it contends, he contends, that he is enough right now. And he will continue to be in the future. You see, joy, unlike happiness, is gladness that comes independent of good or bad. Things that happen in the course of the day. In fact, joy denotes a spirit, supernatural gladness given by the Spirit that actually seems to show up best during our most hard times. It is a product of fixing our eyes on Jesus and focusing on God's purpose for our lives rather than on the circumstances of our lives. It doesn't need to be performed that others can see how happy we are because of Jesus. doesn't need to look like energy and enthusiasm, although it can, and if you're a Tigger, then be a Tigger. But it is often just a deep gladness that I have Jesus. And that's enough. My joy is informed by the love that Christ has for me. It submits to his word and his way and it works in sync with all the other descriptive elements of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. And so I'll end with these words. Moody Bible Institute wrote wrote this. As a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world and Incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned of a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of the sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their own souls. They have overcome the world these people are the Christians and I am one of them. Oh, that we would pray that God would teach us that, to be a quiet and holy people who find a joy a thousand times better than the pleasures of life. Let's head into prayer. I know that many of you sent in some prayer requests that we want to uh, pray over today. Um, certainly as we move back into reentry, as we're calling it here, uh, we need prayer for wisdom, and God would just give us direction, so we're praying over those things, and um, a list of all sorts of details. Um, so let's just go to the, word, uh, the Lord in prayer right now. Father, we, we are moved uh, by a spirit who binds and builds things in our life that we cannot. It produces a fruit that we cannot. And so, Lord, will you teach us and humble us to a place where we realize that it's not about effort to please you, but it comes from a God that is well-pleased with us, that gives us the spirit to move towards you. Fruit towards you God let us humbly humbly confess our brokenness and our need for you that we would abide in you that we would realize your love and your care your sufficiency that you're enough Lord that we would focus on the roots not changing the fruits in our life you do that Lord and so God give us wisdom as we joyfully joyfully consider the fact that we get to see some of each other next week Help us to have a sound mind and good wisdom in how we do that. We just pray for your grace to be given to us there. Um, Lord, we're praying for Susie Pinkerton's brother, Mark. Struggling with an ailment and we're asking, Lord, that you would bring healing into his life. And Amanda is asking for, Rankin is asking for for prayers for healing for their kids and herself. Uh, We're praying for the farmers and all the agricultural industries, as the draper reminds us, the drapers, that their families, as they enter in this time of separation where they're going to be in the field, long hours away from their family, and Lord, that we pray for Carrie right now. God, we pray that that you would break into her life in ways that are unknown to us and undoable by us. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit. Teach us to abide. Teach us to rest. Teach us to linger with you. That we would love you above all things in our lives. And we pray this humbly in the name of our Christ Jesus. Amen.